Alex Ferrara, and I'm taking a deep dive into the world of beauty and women's health. I'm asking all the questions and trying every product and trend so you don't have to. Get ready for a little glam and a lot of info. This is Glow Up and Speak Out. Today I'm sitting down with Brittany Bertier. She's an actor, writer, and new mom based in New York City. She's also one of my best and oldest friends. Recently, Brittany originated the role of Norma Jean in Marilyn, the new musical at the Paris in Las Vegas, and she is currently working on her first feature film. Brittany went through a pretty wild and a little bit traumatic labor experience here in New York City and sadly suffered something called maternal femoral nerve damage. And we are going to get into all of that, what that means, and everything she wants you to know. So please welcome Brittany Bertier. Britt, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. We have to give a little background. Brittany's one of my fi- my best friends in the entire world that I met literally the first day of college. Yes. So it's been a lot of years now that we <laughs> have been friends. And it's so funny. I feel like we both got pregnant kind of fast. Although yeah. you, what I always say to people is like, I got off the pill and I spent like four years when we weren't trying, like rebalancing everything and rebalancing my hormones and my thyroid. So I think that when we started trying, it happened fast because I did all of that work. You know what I mean? Which I like to mention to women, but you, I think you were just really running. Your hormones were like, we are good. (laughs) We are balanced. We are ready. But I was never on the pill. Right. So I I didn't have to go, go through that because I was already on other medications. So I just didn't want to add anything. And then I think that, you know, they say everybody struggles with some part of pregnancy or childbirth. And for me, it was like all the other stuff, but the fertility part was okay. (laughs) Yes. That's actually a really good point. You were never on the pill, even for like six months. No, I think I was on it for like a week. And then I was like, I don't like this. (laughs) And I just stopped. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So how was, let's, let's just like jump into the pregnancy. Okay. You, it was so, you got pregnant so fast. You were fine for a few weeks. Then you got super nauseous. You weren't throwing up a lot, but super not like a lot of women do. Yes. Like there was no relief of the throw up. It was just like constant motion sickness, like extreme motion sickness. Which like is not better. So like when I went on my medication, it did my anti-nausea medication. It did something to my gag reflex where like I could keep stuff down, but I felt like I wanted to throw up 24 seven. So all that medication really does is keep you out of the hospital because you can like keep some nutrients down, but like that's not better. Like it's not better. No, it's better for probably the baby getting nutrients. Mm-hmm. Although like if, if you're not getting enough food, the fetus will, it will just pull from your, your body. So the baby will most likely be okay. But it's just this, I mean, like throwing up is horrible, but afterwards you usually feel like, okay, I feel a little bit better. Like so I was second. just never getting that. I think I threw up a handful of times and I was just like almost never getting that relief. You know, I thought it was never going to end. And for you, it's been going on forever. I know. It's so, it's so like right when I think it's done, like last weekend I was in bed throwing up again. I mean, it's fewer and far between now, thank God. But like, wow, it still pops up. Wait, I forgot to tell you yesterday. So also this, this kind of like thing of like pregnancy cravings for some women, it's not a craving. It's like, oh, what food doesn't make me gag today, right? right? And that's kind of been me. 
Yesterday, the only food that didn't make me want to puke were pigs in a blanket. No! I'm not. You? Yes. That is a food pre-pregnancy that I would have not touched with a 10-foot pole. I at least got the Whole Foods organic ones. But it was like, I was like, Vin, I don't know what to tell you. I can't eat anything. Everything sounds disgusting except for pigs in a blanket. You've eaten so many things I've never heard you even utter in this pregnancy. I know. I really knew you would like that one. Because you've got a little Italian baby <laughs> wanting all the things that that's what your baby's going to love. But like, you'll probably never have a hot dog again. No. Okay. So you got diagnosed with gestational diabetes, which is well, like sort of diagnosed because oh. technically I couldn't keep, if I'm being honest, just so other women know, I could not keep the, the second I sugar drink down. It made me so sick. So they couldn't like properly test me. I think that the sugar drink is crazy. You know, there's the first one. Yes. Which I, I fail by one point. You fail by one point. Okay. But I've had friends fail by eight points and then pass the next one. Yeah. It's so weird. So I don't know. It just feels like such like not an exact science. It's not. And so I could, I was like, it may be deathly sick. So I was like, I cannot do that again. So then they're like, okay, then we're just going to treat you as if you have gestational diabetes. So I think I did like, because some of my blood sugar readings were higher than they would have liked, but there was nothing like there was never a dangerous reading. So I just had to change my lifestyle. And then they did eventually put me on insulin. I didn't understand gestational diabetes and no one could explain to me because it just feels like there's no rhyme or reason because it has nothing to do with your history, your weight, your anything. It's just a pregnancy thing. And my OB finally explained, she gave me one piece of information that makes sense, which is traditionally and evolutionarily women were very malnourished unless you're like one of the few wealthy. And so the placenta is gives the baby extra sugar because in some cases that would be the only thing the baby would be surviving on. And the placenta's job was to be to make the baby as big as possible. But in like wealthy countries without food scarcity, they, we don't need that because we can get food. So in the U S yes. In the U S there's like a ton of gestational diabetes, but in more, you know, less of a wealthy country, they don't have it as much. So, okay. The lifestyle changes are a full-time job though. So I really want to go through a day in your life of having gestational diabetes. Like it is not easy. It's manageable, but it's a full-time job. It is a full-time job. Like it was stressful for me to try to come to the city to see you. And for anyone listening, like I live in Jersey city, it's not that far. It's like 45 minutes by train. But if I wanted to come into the city, it was tough because first of all, you're eating high protein diet, like very high protein, very low carb, lots of vegetables, almost no fruits. And then you're timing every, when you wake up before you eat, you take your blood. Um, and you write it down and then you write down everything you eat all day long. And two hours after every meal, you take your blood again. And then after you take your blood, you have a snack and you write that down. And then in the middle of all of this, if any of your readings are borderline, you need to exercise. And on top of that, I was needing to do 10,000 steps a day. And I was doing three arm workouts a day just to get my heart rate up in between. And so it really was impossible for me to like work. It was so hard. And then also the shots and you you spent the night and oh, yeah. you, you spent the <laughs> night. Many, 
I well, I have a needle phobia. I have such a needle phobia. It took me so long to be able to like go to acupuncture. I mean, I it's gotten a little better that. now because with pregnancy and with my thyroid during pregnancy, it's like I feel like I have to get my blood drawn like All every other week. But yes. like I have such a needle thing, and you have to had to give yourself a shot in your pregnant stomach. I know. Like, how that did you do hurt. that? Well, I didn't for for the first couple weeks, or maybe three weeks. My husband Zach did it. Zach did it. Like I couldn't do it. But then eventually, you know, if Zach had an, a work event or if he wanted to do anything after work, I had to give it to myself because you have to take it between like nine and nine thirty ish. That was when I had took mine. So I had to eventually give it to myself and it was fine, but every once in a while it hurt so bad and you never knew when it was going to hurt. All right. Gestational diabetes was your third trimester. And so then Mm -hmm. you think you're going into labor. So walk us through everything. You get to the hospital. What happens first? Yes. Okay. So then I I waited like what I thought was a long time, like six hours to leave your apartment. Yeah. Oh, Okay. Because it happened in the middle of the night. So I let my husband sleep because I was like, it's going to be, tomorrow's going to be a long day. I don't want to be going through, you know, I don't want to be at the hospital's not comfortable. Like you don't want to be there longer than you have to be. So I was like, I'll let them get closer together. Like the hospital says. So I waited till they were, I can't remember what they say. If it's like every five minutes, I can't remember, but I waited till they were like almost there. And it was at that time it was starting to get painful and more painful. At first it just felt like bad period cramps. And then it was starting to wear on me. And I was like, I don't want this to jump up. We're an hour away from the hospital. Also not the best idea. Like looking back, I wish I had not done that. Um, what? P- so picked a hospital that was an hour away. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was like, I want to go to New York. I want to, I want the best. I want the safest. And in retrospect, I would have done everything differently. Um, which we'll get into later, yeah. but so we left after about six or seven hours. Um, and they were like, you are in active labor, but it's super early. So do you want to go home? And I was like, we're an hour away. Like, no, I don't want to go home. So they did end up admitting us. Um, but it was clear that they were very much like, they weren't in the game of like helping you wait it out. They were kind of like, come here when you're like about to pop and have a baby. And I didn't know it was going to be like that. And I, I opted to stay. And I, thankfully I did opt to stay because they ended up running out of beds. This is um, New York Presbyterian in Washington Heights in New York City, right where you and I used to live. We used to live in that neighborhood legitimately. Like two blocks away. Um, two blocks away. And when we were in our early twenties, remember we, we like did those concerts there for the kids. Cause they have this great children's hospital. So I walked in that day going, this is so full circle. I, you know, like we sang to the kids here when, when we were kids ourselves and now I'm going to have my baby here. But the fact of the matter was I didn't walk out of that hospital. I was not able to walk at the end. And so it was is- not, what I expect. It was not. And this is what we need to like really step through, like the pieces, what led up to it. So, okay. So then at some point you are in active labor, how many hours? I think it was around 11 hours Okay, that they were like, okay, now you're a little bit dilated, but my body was going slower than they would like. So that was when the intervention started, Mm -hmm. which I did not understand why women were so against interventions before. I was very much like, give me the interventions, give me the epidural, 
knock me out if you have to. I don't care. Like, like, I mean, I wanted to experience it, but I didn't want to feel it. I was very afraid. Yeah. So it was at 11 hours that they moved me to a room. Mm -hmm. And that was when I finally got an epidural because I was just like starting to cry. It was really, we didn't know at the time she was sunny side up Mm -hmm. and she had not been sunny side up the day before I was at the OB and she was fine, but she had turned at some Mm -hmm. point. And so that puts a lot more pressure on your lower back. Mm -hmm. So then you feel your contractions in the lower back and pelvic region And it was just really painful. And they were like, they encouraged me to get the epidural, which I did. And looking back, I really wish I had held out because once I got the epidural, I was not able to move around at all. And so from that point on, I didn't eat. They were like, you can have jello. So I was like so weak by the end. Um, So yeah, that was the first intervention. And then I think the epidural slows down the dilation process. I'm not sure, but that was when they said, we're going to give you some Pitocin, which made, makes everything worse. So once the epidural starts to wear off, you feel it even more. Okay. So we watched this, you and I both watched this 2007 documentary, the business of being born and they explained, and it's like, I also want to be clear. You and I are both very grateful that Western medicine exists. It's like, Mm -hmm. I work, I'm working with an OB. I'm very grateful for her. I'm grateful for my anti-nausea medication, for my IV therapy, for all these anatomy scans, But it's also you have to be educated. And this documentary was showing how like the Pitocin speeds things up, but it's forcing your body. So everything hurts more. So then you need an epidural, but the epi and then you need more Pitocin because the epidural slows things down. And it's just this like never ending like hamster wheel because the epidural can also slow the baby down from its process. So it's just Yes, sometimes we need those things, but also too many interventions can result in a disaster. Yeah, one intervention kind of leads to another. And like, let's be clear, you and I without Western medicine would have died of UTIs in college. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And I'm so grateful for medicine. But I think when it comes to childbirth specifically, I do think we're doing it wrong Mm -hmm. in in our country. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I think the, the documentary hit the nail on the head that they're not interested in giving women a pleasant or like comfortable birthing experience. They are interested in making money when it comes down to it. They're interested in getting it done as quickly as possible. It's It's, about rapid succession. Yes. It's a business. It's a business. So, and labor takes a lot of time and babies come when they want. Some people are in labor for like two days. Yes. It's really takes a lot of time. Yeah. Yes. Some people. And that was with interventions. Exactly. I just talked to a girl who was 36 hours. Like it takes a lot of time and they want you in and out. They want to, you know, they want to fill the next bed. It's such a business. And that's why they go right to these interventions, which sometimes might not be the best thing. So we all need to talk to someone from time to time. We could all use a good therapy session. Where it gets hard is it can feel really daunting to do the research to find the right person for you. It can be really expensive. And trying to find time in your day to leave your house or to leave work to go to a physical appointment is real tricky sometimes, especially after COVID. 
So that's where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp will match you with a virtual therapist in 24 hours. They do all the work for you. And if you don't love the first person they match you with, you can go back to the drawing board and they can match you with someone else. It's also all virtual. So you don't have to leave your office. You don't have to leave your apartment. You don't have to leave your house. If you're going through a rough patch right now and you need a little support, this is a great option for you. And even if you're not, even if you just need to vent about a bad day you had or you just want a listening ear, try BetterHelp. And for 10% off of your first month of virtual therapy, use code SPEAKOUT at checkout. That's code SPEAKOUT at checkout for 10% off your first month of virtual therapy. For more information, just scroll down to the bottom of the show notes for this episode. And thank you, BetterHelp, for sponsoring this podcast. Okay, so you have the epidural and... You and this is the downside of the epidural. What everyone talks about is like, okay, it's amazing because women shouldn't have to suffer. If you want to not feel all that pain, it's a great option. But the downside is it's really helpful for your body and for the baby and for your pelvis to move during labor and to be in different positions. And so you're saying that was tricky. So, like, when you got the epidural, there was no more moving. I was not allowed to move. I had a catheter because I couldn't go to the restroom, which made my bladder control a lot harder after the the birth as well, because Mm -hmm. it was in there for so long. Mm -hmm. Um, Also something that I learned from the documentary, as you know, is that the epidural or the Pitocin actually gives you a different, it's like a fake oxytocin. Mm -hmm. So you don't get that hit of like, positive hormones at the end. And I definitely didn't, I don't think I experienced, I was so exhausted and I felt honestly dead at the end. I don't, I didn't feel that because like it messes with your hormones. Like you're supposed to have this flood of the love hormone when they put the baby on you, which I, I mean, I felt very much like I loved her, but I think that the interventions did mess with that, you know? Mm-hmm. I always, so when that- I was watching that documentary and they were telling, they were saying how it inhibits that, like, high that people have if that with a natural childbirth and this just like love for everyone and their baby I was wondering and I haven't looked this up so I don't know but I'm like how many of these interventions correlate with postpartum depression because oh my gosh one of that's the post- so yeah one of the postpartum depression symptoms that people say is like I couldn't connect to my baby like I couldn't God, Alex and- I've never thought of that And I wonder if like some of these women, they never got that first connection and then it just continued, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I want to look that up. Okay. Anyway, so then you are pushing for how long? I pushed for over four hours, which you're not supposed to do. It's not supposed to go past, I think three. So she was sunny side up after an hour and a half of pushing and it going up. Oh, they also broke my water. Okay. So that was another, inter- that was the third okay. intervention. Okay. Um, so, you know, all along my body's taking its sweet time to dilate. It's, it's not, the water's not breaking naturally. None of this has happened. The only thing natural was that I went into labor naturally. Mm-hmm. So I don't think my body was ready. You know, some women feel, okay, it's time for me to push. I never felt that they were like, okay, now you're open enough to push, but they had opened me enough to push, you know? So I pushed for an hour and a half. She was going nowhere. I was on my back, which like, I cannot stress this enough to every woman in America. That is the least conducive 
like posture to be in giving birth. You don't have gravity on your side. Like you have no strength. You're, it's just, it makes no sense at all. Makes your pelvis smaller and more scrunched up as opposed to open and with gravity. And something else I learned is, but that is the best position for the OB, for the provider, because they work a long day. They get to sit down. They have the best view. And for them, it's a Tuesday. It's just a normal Tuesday. But for you, this is like your once in a lifetime experience, scariest, most life-changing moment. So, so like, so all through this, no one is, is, you're in the exact same position for over four yeah. hours. Yeah. So I asked the nurse on my left. So the what they were having me do was she was pushing my left leg into me and my husband was pushing my right leg into me as I pushed, tried to push the baby out. And so she, the woman on my left was trying, like, she, this is, she was trying so hard to help me. Like everything that she did was to try to help me. I knew that so well. But like, she was the one that when we realized that the baby was sunny side up, she turned her inside of me. I made eye contact with her, not even my husband. She held my hand and kept my eyes like locked on me as it was being turned inside of me. And we're going to be okay. And thankfully because of the epidural, I didn't really feel much pain. Cause that I hear is very painful if you can feel everything. So this woman was like right there with me. She was really trying to help me. And I know that. But when it came down to it, I said, this has been a long time. You know, I was told that on the epidural, I could do other positions. Should we try another position? And she said, no, you're not a good candidate for that. And I left it at that. And what did your OB say? Your OB didn't encourage you to change positions either. My OB wasn't there at this point. Oh. So you meet with your OB for 10 minutes every month or week or whatever toward the end. And she, when it comes down to it, they have a million babies and they might not even be on work that day. So my OB didn't come until my last hour, hour and a half. Okay. So So she she actually didn't even see the whole lead up to this and how long, like she she might not have even been registering how long you had been pushing in the exact same position by the time she got there. I kept trying to tell her, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot do this anymore. And she pushed me to continue. And I have to give her credit for that because if she had let me have a C-section, I don't know what I would have done because the damage to my leg was already done. The damage to my pelvic floor was already done. If I had pushed for four hours and then had a C-section, my recovery would have been even worse. Okay. So she did right by me by that time. Okay. What it really comes down to is the nurses. The nurses are the ones that are with you the whole time. They're the ones that need to be responsible for what are the positions? How long has she been doing this? Um, they, they're the ones that need to have knowledge of these labor injuries. Right. So, okay. So then you have your gorgeous daughter, Evie. Finally. She's fine. She's great. She's great. She's passing every test with flying colors. Yeah. What is the first thing you notice? First thing I'm exhausted. You know, they, they wheel me out of there so fast before I can even get anything to eat. Um, they're telling me about the lactation consultants talking to me. My eyes are crossed. I'm so tired because you're not supposed to push that long. Mm-mm. Like everyone in that room knows you're not supposed to push that long, you know? Mm-hmm. And instead of let's let her rest, it's like, let's throw all this information at her, not let her eat. And then like, we, I was dizzy. I was so tired. They tired. They wheeled me into like the world's smallest room. You saw it and was like, bye. 
And I'm like, great. I have my baby. Like we're done. My vagina feels like beef carpaccio, but it's going to heal. And so the first thing I noticed was that my right leg was slowly waking up from the epidural. So the epidural kept me from being able to move my legs. And meanwhile, I had kept pressing the button. They have a button for the epidural and my epidural had worn off. I run out at in like the 11th hour. And because of the Pitocin, I could feel everything, but I couldn't feel my legs. It was bizarre. So I kept trying once they refilled it to like get more in me because I've honestly thought I couldn't continue, but for some reason my legs were totally dead. Like I couldn't even move them. So as the epidural is wearing off that day, I'm like, you know, able to lift my right leg off of the bed, but I'm not able to lift my left leg. And I'm like, that's so weird. And a few hours pass by and a few hours pass by and I can like lift my knee, but I can't get my foot off the bed. So that's when I realized that something was wrong. And that's when I started asking questions and, and trying to get to the bottom of it. And it was not easy. It was not easy. And it was really scary just sitting in that room thinking, okay, I'm paralyzed. Like, is this normal for one leg to wake up before the other? And it was the next few days were a nightmare of anxiety of trying to like focus on my baby, but like being scared that I was paralyzed. But also like it, it, my sister, I know people have had an epidural and they're like, Oh, it's sometimes it takes a few hours, but like, this is days where you can, is it numb too? Yes. It was fully numb. So it's both paralyzed and numb. Like you could not feel it. And it was really scary. I remember coming to visit you and it was so scary. I literally cried when I left because I just was like, yes, because I was both so proud of you for going through all of that and so mad. And everyone, yeah. <laughs> I was so mad. I Not was so only mad. had I gotten injured, but like I was having a hard time understanding what was going on. Well, like, because no one was telling you. So I remember no. everyone was really brushing this off, like really yeah. downplaying. And yep. it's like, no, this has been two days. How many days were in the hospital? I was in the hospital like four nights, yeah. I believe. And there was no improvement. Not really. Not until the day that you came was the day that they finally sent the physical therapist and she showed me how to use a walker. And I was like, okay, like at least I can move around. But I fell in the bathroom that night. Uh, Yeah. Like really badly. Really badly because you have one leg. You have one leg. So as a result, so let's explain this. So as a result of pushing for over four hours, when the nurse was holding your leg, fine, trying to help, but it was not in a great position. She was lunging it into me. She was, that's why my right leg was like a little bit like hurt from this, but my husband had my leg and I kept telling him, do it harder like her, like do it like her because I, you know, it, she's helping me get the baby out and he's just more gentle. And he, she was like pushing down on this part of my, like the front shin and just throwing it into me. My husband had the foresight to be like, no. And so he did it more gently. It did still affect my right leg, which is why I think I fell. And some women do have both injuries and it's called bilateral femoral nerve damage when you have that. Mine was mostly her side. So from the, the forceful nature of every time I push her shoving my leg into me, 
what happened was my femoral nerve was completely compressed, which means it lost blood flow. And so the nerve that runs down the inside of my leg that controls motor function, skin sensation was kaput. I could not move my leg. I could not feel it. I could move my foot, but the rest of my leg, I couldn't move. For the entire time you're in the hospital. And we'll get to what happened after that. But so you were, the diagnosis is maternal femoral nerve injury. Yes. But at first it was, we think you have, it's your sciatic. We think it's this. And finally, one of the um, anesthesiologists, mind you, they had to stick me twice with the epidural because they let somebody do it on me. It was their first time. I had no idea. Like everything about this experience was so bad. (laughs) And so this really kind anesthesiologist came in. Finally, it was like day three of being in the hospital, day two of being injured, just not really knowing what's going on. And he was like, listen, I think this is what's happening. I think it's your femoral nerve or it's sciatic, your sciatic nerve. I think that you need to see a neurologist. It was scary, but he gave me some information, you know? And he was like, if it is a compressed nerve, it's likely that, you know, you can rehabilitate, but you need to get this taken care of kind of thing. And thank God for him. Thank God for him. Cause I remember yeah. being there. And one of the things I, I was noticing is people were like, it'll be fine. It, sometimes it takes a little while. So you had no understanding. And I remember you saying, oh. but like, is this normal? Like, do you see this? You kept asking. And the thing I remember more than anything was the physical therapist coming in and you telling her it had been two days with, and she had this look flat. She had something behind her eyes that I noticed. And of course she was, she was trying to like keep you chill, but I saw this look in her eyes and it, I just was like this, I left and I was so mad and I didn't know what to do. And I was like, this is not okay. And we talked about how, you know, again, we're very grateful for Western medicine, but hospitals are a business. And the first thing that they're going to do is try to cover their asses and not get sued. So yeah. we, we kind of talked about how that was an early childhood lesson I learned, you know, with my dad, where my dad had surgery and he had complications and we were calling and call- they kept saying it's totally normal, it's totally normal, but it ended up being a pulmonary embolism and he died. It's, so, it's just so horrible. It's so horrible. And so it was really like a formative experience for me of like, whoa, you have to really advocate for yourself. Not every nurse has your back. Not every doctor has your back. Like this is a business. They are just people and no one has time and our medical system is not perfect. But for you, you had had a relatively normal experience with the healthcare system. Nothing Uh, crazy serious. You're very healthy. Of course, UTI, sinus infections, normal stuff, but you hadn't really had... You've never no. had anything coming close to this. So so no. you're trusting your OB and you're thinking, I don't really have, why would I need a functional medicine doctor too or a doula as well? Or I thought that was frou-frou. I thought that was yes. like, those women get doulas. <laughs> no, I'm not even kidding. Like my entire mindset has changed. For anybody listening to this, that's like, that's like, we aren't living in the dark ages, have an epidural, like, don't even think about it. Don't even do your research. Like just trust. Like that was me. That was me. I was just like going on a prayer and trusting the system. And I I am a hundred percent the opposite now. Mm-hmm. I'm a hundred percent the opposite. And I think every woman needs a doula or a midwife a hundred percent because OBs are surgeons. Mm-hmm. They are not 
focused on you having a healthy labor. They're just not. They're there for like if something goes wrong. Mm-hmm. And and I think people have this very narrow view of what a home birth is. Yeah. You know, we think it's just like you alone in your bathtub with no, you know, and like, <laughs> God, how dangerous and how, you know, how, you know, you're taking such That's a big risk. Thought. And I thought it was crazy. Right. And like, I don't want to have a home birth, but I know so much more about home births now is that like the way you have a supported, this is what they kept saying in the documentary, a supported home birth with a medical professional who has done this a million, million times. times. In many, many cases, you can choose someone who used to work in the hospital system if you uh-huh. want, but you're on your own turf too. Uh-huh. So your body is more, my body was way more in fight or flight. Cause the minute I got to the hospital, they had like a young nurse popping my blood vessels. My husband's like passing out. This is just to get the IV in me, you know, and you're under those crazy lights and people are talking to you without any sort of under like sympathy or understanding. And so you immediately are just like, it's the scariest thing. So if you're in your home and you can set your lights and you have your music and your candles, I think that that helps your body. And of course, like if something goes wrong, that's the only, that's the thing is like, if something goes wrong, you have to be able to get to a hospital. That's the thing that scares me about a home birth. Me too. Me too. And also, you know, they do, if you're high risk for any reason, it's probably not the best candidate for you. But like, also I don't want a home birth. Like, I think that would be a little too much for me, but there is a way to do a mix. So what I have chosen is an OB great, but also a doula. And so what in your head, like if you had been in that exact situation, but had a doula, like how do you think it would have changed? I think she maybe would have this imaginary doula in my mind, maybe would have been like, I know you're crying. I, I see you. I feel you. Let's do these movements that we've practiced. Let's let's hold this off a little bit longer. And if I eventually was like, I need this epidural, I think she probably would have been like, okay, but let's continue moving your body this way. Let's not just go straight onto the back. Let's go onto the side. I think she would have stopped the Pitocin from happening, the water from being broken. She would have waited it out with me. She would have basically... It's so weird, Alex, because I am 36 years, we are in our thirties. I'm 36 years old. And every time an intervention happened, even when like the epidural wasn't going well, I felt a little voice in me and I didn't say anything because you feel like you're at their mercy a little bit and you feel a little bit like they know best. Well, yeah. Cause they do this all the time. And this is your first they time. Do this all the time. Yeah. So I regret I regret not speaking up so much, but I thought, and I've said this to you a million times, I thought the worst thing that was going to happen was my vagina was going to tear. And at that point I was like, I don't care. Tear my vagina. I don't care if we push this long, you know, I don't care about my vagina. I just want to get her out of me. I did not know that there were all these other injuries. And so there are different kinds of nerve injuries from birth. The one that's more um, common is drop foot which is even harder to rehabilitate from. And it's, it's harder to get around with because it's your foot. So at least I could lock my knee eventually and like use a walker, Mm -hmm. but if it's your foot, it's way more dangerous. And there are a million women who are affected by nerve injuries from childbirth every year. And why don't we know about it? Not everyone's as severe as mine or the women that go out in wheelchairs and some women never recover. And why aren't we, why aren't nurses 
why don't they know this stuff? Like you have to know that you can't be pushing somebody's numb leg into them for four hours like that. Like that should be a no brainer. Right. Because if, but you, if you could feel it, you would say like, holy Ow. shit, mo- yes. stop, you know, yes. but you couldn't feel it. No. So sadly, this was not a quick recovery. So yeah. And you were there, I think, I- when that woman came in and was like, you can see a neurologist, but like, you'll probably be fine by Monday. <laughs> yeah. And I no, like, you were not fine by Monday. So no. how long was, how many weeks was your leg fully paralyzed? It was weeks of my husband helping me to the bathroom putting me on the toilet. It was weeks of not being able to shower by myself. It was weeks of not being able to make myself a sandwich or pick up my baby. It was weeks of that. And then eventually I felt strong enough to walk around very slowly with the walker by myself. And I started physical therapy right away. So I have also have pelvic floor stuff from birth, but I think it's also because I had to start doing exercises right away for my leg was too soon for my floor, you know, all that stuff, but I needed to be able to walk and physical therapy saved me. Mm-hmm. It saved me. Um, those weeks. You, okay. So imagine you are a new mom, you have a new baby, you're breastfeeding and you have one leg. Postpartum yeah. is hard enough for women. It is the biggest uh-huh. life change. It's the biggest hormonal change. You're so sleep deprived. And you also had one leg. You couldn't even go to the bathroom by yourself. You couldn't shower by yourself. You couldn't grab a snack really fast. You couldn't walk around with your, you couldn't walk you with your me, baby. You sent me those things, the the grabbers. Yeah, I looked. Sections, yes. and that was so helpful because I could like reach the remote or a book or my phone because frequently Zach would help me get back to the couch. And then I realized that I left something just out of reach. And I... And I started to feel bad constantly asking him and my mom to get me things. I felt like such a burden, which I should not have, but I, I was truly disabled. I had never been disabled in my life. No. And we've talked about this too. For us, we are, have been so lucky to be so able-bodied, meaning we could run and jump anytime we wanted to. We could do the splits. We were tap dancing. Like we went to musical theater school and we were dancing. Like we've actually been able to do more things physically than most people. So, so for you to all of a sudden have one leg at this really critical time in your life, I literally cannot even imagine what was your mental health like? Like how during those, those first few weeks? It was rough. It was, thank God my mom was here for two weeks, as you know. And really Evie, my daughter, for anyone listening, got me through that time. Um, and, but it, it, I would wake up every day kind of like, can't believe this is my reality. Can't believe it. Like I couldn't accept it. And as the day went on, I would just focus on her. But as the nighttime would come, my panic would set in every night. And I would just be like, how am I going to do this when my mother leaves? Like, how am I going to care for this child? And try, like, what the, like the, the fear would come in. What if it never gets better? What's my life going to be like? Like, and then the anger of, I just want to focus on her and not worry about this. And so I was so lucky to find this woman, Erin, on Instagram. I found a hashtag maternal nerve injury. I'm trying to learn everything I can. And I I noticed that she had done a reel about like, I would never have been able to stand on this leg six years ago from my femoral nerve damage. She had the exact same injury as me, but to her other leg. So I messaged her and she was my saving grace during that time because she was like, listen to me, you're going to get better because a large number of women do improve, but 
not everybody. That's important to note. She was like, if I could say anything, try not to let this take away from like spending this time with your baby, which is so hard when you're like disabled. Well, and- when you're like, um, am I ever going to walk again? And no one can give me any <laughs> info and no one's acknowledging their part in this and no one can give me a timeline. And hello, can is anyone here to help me? Like even the neurologist was just like, huh? I've never really like seen this one before. Ugh. I guess keep going to PT. I mean, I cried after that because I was I like, remember that. I was hoping that he would be able to be like, listen, this happens and this is what you need. He was just like, move it as much as you can and go to PT. Thank God for my PT, Megan. She was so calm. She gave me actionable things that I did at home every day. And I went, I saw her two times a week. My husband really prioritized it. and. I started to see improvement over time. I think I used the walker for two months. Can you throw Erin's Instagram handle? What What is, if we want to look her up? Yes. The she's woman who helped so, you. She's so wonderful. I believe it's Mama Finding the Balance. She does a lot of, she's also a nurse and she was actually injured at the hospital that she worked at at the time, which is wild to me. Um, it's the Mama Finding Balance. She pointed me to this Facebook group for maternal nerve injury. And it made me feel, to this day, the women that I've talked to that have had this and recovered from it are the most helpful. They're way more helpful than them and the PT, than any doctor. There's just so much with women's health that has not been studied. And another thing in this documentary was they were going through a list of all these interventions that would cause birth defects or cause all these terrible things that they found out. But there, this OB was like, there's not a history of like, let's study this intervention for, for years before we try it. It's just that there's, hasn't been a lot of studies around, you know, and then, oh my God, I was thinking about generational trauma with women because they were talking about, and you know, generational trauma can be passed down because you're like in your mom's womb. And so people, some people believe that like, if you have trauma, it can be passed down to your baby. But I was looking at those the images and the stories of like women giving birth in the twenties, thirties, forties. Oh my 50s, gosh. Where no. they were just like tied to a t- table and like knocked out. And my grandmother heard. was knocked out in the fifties. She doesn't remember her births. It's like, what? It's just, it's unbelievable. So where are you now? Your, your daughter is six months. She's almost six months. She's almost six months. And mm-hmm. she's doing great, by the way. She's yeah. amazing and doing thriving <laughs> and beautiful and adorable. Um, yes. So where are you now with your leg, with your nerve injury and with your pelvic floor? I am walking now. Two, three months is a long freaking time to it not is. have a leg, for God's sake, yes. and while you're a new mom. Yes. So I finally, around three months, let myself carry her. Not, not up any inclines, not down any, you know, declines, but, um, I let myself carry her. No one was able to tell me, Hey, this is a good time. You can now carry her. It was kind of like, I had to know when my body felt. Cause for a long time I was a fall risk for, I used a shower bench for those two, three months. Like I could not stand in the shower. Um, Anyways, now I'm able, I don't feel like I'm a fall risk. I mean, every once in a while, my foot will catch because I still, I still am numb. My knee is still, I would say it's very tight from nerve damage. It's still about 50% numb. The inside of my leg is numb. So wearing pants is uncomfortable, but 
I can now jog a little bit in place. So I, you know, I'm not a fall risk, so I can do that. I still can't really run with forward motion. It just, it's not really there yet. I think I could fall if I did that. Um, but I, I believe that it's going to come. The thing that I'm the most nervous about is, um, the feeling like I, I really am approaching six months and still, you know, have weird feeling like when my daughter's hand brushes up against the inside of my leg, it hurts because it's, it's, it's numb. And so it feels like a scratch. Like it doesn't, it's uncomfortable. And so I have heard that it can take 12 to 18 months for the feeling to completely come back. But at that point, you're kind of wherever it is, is where it's kind of going to stay. So I'm just really hoping that I can run so I can take dance class again someday. And I really hope that the feeling fully comes back or at least mostly comes back. But I do have use of my leg and I am so grateful for that. And the pelvic floor is still a mess, as you know. Okay, like, so tell us about your pelvic floor. From pushing for too long, I believe I have a mild bladder prolapse. I have a mild pelvic organ prolapse, which is basically the muscle that holds everything in place. Um, and I have an overactive bladder, which is a nerve situation, which could be from the epidural. It could be from pushing. I don't know. It's all slowly improving with PT, but I do have leak. Like there are days where I leak. Um, if I, if I move, make a sudden movement, or if I just go too long without being able to go to the bathroom and it causes me a lot of aching and pain, um, more like discomfort than pain, sometimes pain in the yeah uterus area mm-hmm. from things being tight. So if anybody listening to this has any pelvic floor issues, PT is really helpful for that stuff. And, um, yeah, that's where that is. I don't know if it'll ever fully go back to normal. Like it's basically fallen. It's, it's traumatized. Like the whole area is still traumatized. I would say what I don't understand is they make you take this class from whatever hospital you go to. And the class said, you're not supposed to push for more than three hours. Like it's the class said that, and then they did. So so tell us why. what happened. You did reach out to the hospital to tell your story. Not even want, I mean, I was so activated when I, I left. I like wanted to like lead the charge to like start the lawsuit. I know. So, <laughs> I was too traumatized to even of like co- consider of it. Of course, like, of course. But like you, you were kind of, your approach was like, I don't even want to sue. I just want them to know this happened to me so they don't do it to other women. So yeah. how did you reach out and what was the hospital's response? So Erin said to speak with patient services. Um, she was like, find the patient services number, call them, um, and they can help. They'll like open a case. So I did. And the woman was so nice. And she was like, I'm really sorry this happened to you. You know, she took down all the details. She was like, I'm going to open up your um, case. And in a few weeks, you'll get a letter letting you know. And I was like, listen, I was very clear. I was just like, I'm not interested in taking any sort of legal action. I do not believe anyone was actively trying to hurt me. However, there was negligence involved. And I don't want other women to deal with this because during this time, it took me months to be able to even talk about it with them because I was afraid of how they respond. During this time, I'd occasionally go on the Facebook group and a new woman pops up and a new woman pops up. I'm in a wheelchair. I'm scared. I don't know what's going on. Nobody has information. And I'm like, I don't want this to keep happening. She said, of course. 
And so like a month or more later, I get this written letter, typed out letter in the mail, and it denies my entire experience. It's like, you chose this position. We tried these things and you said no, you know, and I don't know. It's somewhere in my desk because I only read it once because I was so like, you know, when you get upset and you get hot and your your heart starts, I was, I felt so upset by it. It was basically them trying, they were like, we looked at the documentation and and this is actually what happened. Because that is not what happened. You did ask and they said no. Yes, but of course that's not documented because I just asked the nurse once and she said no and that was it. Like she didn't write that down. Right. And they're trying to put in writing that I can't sue them. So instead of going, we're really sorry that this happened to you, by the way, like we injured you and then charged you $700 to see a physical therapist for an hour. And how much <laughs> did they charge you for the physical therapist to bring you a walker after they were the ones that caused you That damage? was $1,500. It wasn't 700. I was wrong. It was $1,500. It was $1,500. I was there for the physical therapist to literally bring you a walker after they injured you so that you could just get to the bathroom. And then a nurse was like, I'm going to help you walk, like practice this today, walking up and down the hallway. And she never came back. (laughs) The nurse was really like well-intentioned. She gave me her email and was like, I'd love to like keep in touch and see how your baby grows. And I just couldn't do it because I was asking that woman for a shower and she didn't give it to me. I waited for her to practice using the walker and she didn't come back. Like I just didn't want to be in contact with anybody from that hospital. You shouldn't be charged more because you are injured during labor. You shouldn't be charged more because you have a miscarriage and need a DNC. You shouldn't be so charged. You shouldn't be charged more because you can't keep water down and you have to go to the ER for IV. I mean, that with bill was thousands of dollars for me. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I think pregnant women should get whatever they need and it should all be covered. It's a huge lack of respect because every single person on this earth was born of a woman, everybody. And it's, we're treated when you're pregnant, like it's not this really important thing to keep our to, to keep our world going. It's not, it's not the most precious thing that exists in our world. We're treated like, I don't know what we're treated like, not even like humans sometimes, honestly. And the sad thing is it's, it's kind of a United States specific thing in, in like- Europe. The, the Netherlands, they, you know, another thing they said in this documentary, the Netherlands lose fewer moms and babies than the U.S. does. One third of their births are at home. We have a really embarrassing maternal mortality rate, infant mortality rate. It's we horrible. We are charged insane amounts of money to have a baby. We yes. get no sort of like government support postpartum. Postpartum. Oh, that was the most infuriating thing was that everybody kept following up with me and it was like, Hey, we want to make sure you're using contraception. Are you using contraception? Like, and I was like, is anybody going to ask me about my paralyzed leg? Nobody wanted to talk about it. My OB cared. Like if I I would give her updates and she was, you know, she would always be like, it's going to be okay. Like I know really she wanted it to be okay. But even she wasn't like checking in. No one was like, Hey, are you able to walk yet? Like nobody cared. And yeah. And I asked the, I asked the hospital, like, Hey, I had this injury from your nurse. It's 
like $2,000 out of pocket for me before my, um, you know, copay goes down on physical therapy. Like, is there any way that like the hospital would help put money toward this? And they were like, absolutely not. It's just, it's so embarrassing. It's just laughable. It, it is. makes me so mad. And you did a really good poster. You kind of explained your story and then you posted the letter. I feel like that's worth another poster, like putting in your highlights or something because it yeah, was really informative. You've said a lot about what you want women to know, but is there anything else you want women to know about what you went through, about this experience, about what to look out for when they're pregnant? I think that it's, easiest to think I'm a modern woman. I'm going to get the epidural and I'm, you know, going to have a baby. Like my body knows what to do. Your body does know what to do, but once you start intervening with it, it's not on its own time clock anymore. So I think it's just really important to educate ourselves. And I like, you're a research queen and I am not good at that. If you push that hard for so long, I also had so much trauma to like, I had hemorrhoids for weeks and weeks and weeks. Like It's just, please don't just assume that it's all going to be okay with your doctor. Like do your own research, listen to these podcasts and just try to do as little interventions as possible because your body does know what to do. But when you start intervening, it gets confused. I think it gets confused. I think it, I think it doesn't go the way it's supposed to go. And it's really hard to go without an epidural. I don't know if I could do it again, like without an epidural, but if you can like, just try really hard not to. Well, you're saying like, what you're saying is there's, and I want to say there's no wrong way to have your baby. What you're saying is, is educate yourself to make the best decision possible before you go in. Like know, know that if you get Pitocin, if you get interventions, they're going to want you to start pushing. Just know, feel, does my body feel like it needs to start pushing? Like, just don't take everything that they say at face value because they're not always on your side. I guess if I could, I guess, okay. If I could say one thing for women, it's have a doula have a doula. Like, I don't care if you have to do a GoFundMe, I will donate to that GoFundMe. Like get a doula because the doctors are there for the baby and they are not there for you. They're just not. It is something I learned of like, yeah, the doctors are all looking at the baby. The doula is looking at you and it is really expensive. And getting a doula does not mean you have to have a home birth. My doula is going to come with me to the hospital where I'm having a hospital birth. It is really expensive, but what I've learned is they're with you for a while. Like I'm working with my doula now, so she knows all of my checkups. She knows all what the doctor's saying. She gets to know me. She does late. She's good. We're going to start labor education classes and then they're with you at the hospital. But also sometimes my doula's with six weeks postpartum for like check-ins. So it's expensive, but it's because it's so many months of of work. Because your, your meetings with your OB, your appointments are 10 minutes. And they're like, okay, do you have any questions? Like they're not going to offer up information because they're seeing a million of you a day. So your doula is more focused and more informative and more nurturing and nourishing to your experience. Like what I thought a doctor would be like, mm-hmm. you know, just like talk to your partner or your mom or whoever's going to be with you about helping you advocate for yourself. Cause it's hard when you're the one in that really vulnerable position, it's really hard to advocate. You need someone to speak up and go, no, she's not ready to push or no, we don't want, we don't want that. We're going to wait. And it's okay to wait. You're paying them like $72,000. It's okay to take your time. That's what I would say. The other thing from the business of being born documentary that I remember the midwife saying was, 
she said, I'm not trying to assume, yes, I'm a medical professional and I've helped with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of births, but I'm not trying to assume that I'm smarter than your body. Your body is very, very wise and will tell us. So like when you were saying, yes, this is your first time, but your body, you had a little voice that was telling you something. My little voice was like, the epidural shouldn't be taking this long. And I don't really want the Pitocin. Why are we, why are we popping my water? I guess we'll just do it. It'll, It'll be okay. You know, I'm just, thank you so much for sharing all this. I know it's painful and I know it's kind of fresh. Like your baby's only six months, but I think this is really going to help a lot of women. So just thank you so much for being so honest. Thank you for giving me a platform and a voice because that's so healing. And my number one thing coming out of all of this is I just want every woman to know about this injury because it can be in most cases prevented. There's a small percentage where you can have a compressed nerve just from your baby coming down your vaginal canal. There's nothing you can do about that. But in most cases, this is caused from um, positioning and it can be avoided. And I want every woman to know because I don't want anybody to have a newborn and have to be going through paralysis. It's not necessary. No, it is not necessary. Thank you for light to this issue. So before I let you go, I want to ask a few fun questions to switch the vibe a little bit. Um, Okay, so this is partly a beauty podcast, and you are so beautiful, and you're an actress, and you've modeled, and you've done – so do you have a favorite, like – beauty product or hack or skincare thing or hair thing, something that's like your go-to? I was going to say my favorite thing that I'm doing recently is ice dunks, like face yes. ice but only on days where I'm seeing people, which is horrible. Cause when you already have a kid, you have like no time, but I feel like it helps with inflammation and redness, which I've always had the redness. And then I think it's also really good for your nervous system. So on days where I wake up feeling overwhelmed, it just like, I don't know, it kind of helps me reset a little bit. Okay. Brittany, thank you so much. Where can we find you and where can we follow you on Instagram and life? All of the things. Instagram and TikTok is Brittany Bertier and, um, I, you know, website, BrittanyBertier.com. I need to revamp that with all the new things, but yeah, basically those places I do silly, silly impressions, silly sketches, and you can always connect with me there. It's easy. Perfect. Brittany, thank you so much. Thank you, Alex. I love you. Thank you for listening to glow up and speak out. If you liked this episode, it would mean so much if you could follow, rate, and review the show on Apple or Spotify. And for more content, make sure to check out our Instagram at glowupandspeakout.